I mean, Andre Agassi had this goal, you don't have to be better than everyone else in the draw when you go out on the court. Like, you have to be better than someone that's across the net. I think you got to stay active in a sport sense, you know, go out there, do some sports. I think it always makes you feel better, maybe more tired in the very moment, but actually the rest of the day feels better. And then I think giving back as well, you know, making other people happy is going to give you a good feeling too. Hi guys, welcome to the Tennis Pal Chronicles, a podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. And this podcast is sponsored by Tennis Pal. Tennis Pal is an iPhone and Android app for anything tennis. It connects you with other players and coaches to chat. You can schedule play and you can also share moments. Download the app today. Just wanted to say that during the COVID shutdown, Tennis Pal has continued to sponsor and support this podcast. So huge thanks to Halle and the whole Tennis Pal team for making this podcast happen. I'm joined by my beautiful co-host, Miss Valerie Garcia. Hi, Valerie. Hi there. How's it going? It's going good. It's nice to have you on the podcast. Uh, again, we're connected via Skype, and we apologize for all the weird internet noises and the sound quality that we have, but you know, we're trying to practice good, uh, healthy separation, right? Yes. Physical distancing. Exactly. The, the new term I've heard. Oh, so Valerie, you might have noticed that we have a new music intro. Uh, I created that because I've been uploading our podcast to YouTube and having compatibility problems with the former intro. So rather than fight an algorithm, I thought it was just easier to change it. Plus, I added Maria Sharapova and Roger Federer to the intro. So how do you like it? It sounds good. I like it. I mean, it'll take getting used to because I, I got so used to the the other song. But it's good. Um, change is good. I'm, I'm a fan. <laughs> well, I hope it doesn't throw our listeners. Uh, I hope they don't tune in and feel like, oh my gosh, this is a different podcast or what happened. <laughs> so I just wanted to explain that because we've actually had one full podcast with that music before and just wanted to say thanks for putting up with the change. Yeah, it's cool. On this podcast, we have a special story to share with you from our fan favorite reporter, Martina, in Australia. Remember a thousand years ago when we were all enjoying the Australian Open? I completely regret complaining about those crazy hours and the time change because uh, I miss tennis so much. Well, Martina was there live as well as at the Rally for Relief and created a report to share her experience. She also had the life-changing experience of spending time with the Federer family and shares all the details for us. So that is super exciting. But first, let's get to some tennis news. Valerie, so much has been going on right now. What's going on, Philip? Well, I haven't had, I haven't heard. Just kidding. <laughs> tell me, all, <laughs> tell me all about it. Well, first, the of course, the suspension of the tour has been extended. It's kind of nice that the ATP and the WTA are working together in setting dates. Uh, it's sad that it takes the virus to bring them together. Unfortunately, all ATP and WTA tournaments are now canceled until June seventh. That's the new date that they set. That's quite a ways away. Yeah, the first date they had was April 20th. So you can remember that was right after Indian Wells. And then they set it to May 2nd and now June 7th. So they've really extended it just trying to see into the future, look at their crystal ball and try to figure out what, what's happening, right? Yes. And I got to say, I think it was amazing that Tommy Haas and Larry Ellison and everybody from the Indian Wells team decided to cancel that tournament. I mean, looking back, I feel like that was probably the smartest thing to do in the tennis world. And it was the first tournament that was canceled, I think, right? Correct. Because they actually had already had qualifiers happened at Indian Wells. And then when the, when the main draw was about to start was when they announced it. And yeah, you're right. Like it seemed, it was the first, I think, big sporting event to be like, no. Um, and it seemed kind of rash at the time. But then looking back, like everyone followed suit and it was actually a really 
obviously smart idea. Looking at where we are as a society in retrospect, it was the best possible thing to do to err on the side of caution. I think they were way ahead in that and it was so smart. And I just had wished that our president and our state leaders had done the same thing and shut down the nation and let the virus die. We would have had a chance, you know. So it's just to me the lesson learned from Indian Wells and kudos to them is that we, we really need to err on the side of caution right now. We really need to go overboard and make sure that we're trying to destroy this virus. And just big, big cheer for Indian Wells team for making that decision. Certainly. I know we were like sad at first, but obviously like when you look back in retrospect, it's like, of course, makes sense. I guess the only thing to be sad about is just that the timing happened to be where our tournament was the one that got affected. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the pain was real, that's for sure. (laughs) But that's the problem, right, is that we're all so selfish. We all want it and we don't want it to affect our stuff, right? And that's why we're having such a hard time in the United States locking this stuff down. Well, um, and in addition to the announcement that of June 7th, uh, they also talked about the rankings freezing. So in our last podcast, you had educated us about the rankings. And what do you think about the idea that it's frozen now? It seems like the right thing to do. It's an unprecedented time. And so you, they have to get creative. Um, it doesn't seem right that everyone drops all the points and none of the tournaments are happening. So I, I'm okay with freezing the ranking points personally also it helps roger right because he stays at number four right though on like whether or not it should it should be affected by people who are out on injury has it really i've heard them talk about it um on like other podcasts yeah so hard to be fair now with everything changing and uh, all the small considerations and i think you know tennis in general is really hurt by this Another kind of strange move was that the French Open moved their date from May and June into September and October, (laughs) (laughs) which really caused a stir. Uh, I love the stir it caused. Like just how the whole tennis world has like basically banded together against the French Open. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I guess they got thick skin and they can take it, huh? Yeah, I mean, I guess in a way they're they're kind of smart, but it kind of sucks, right? For for all the other tournaments and all the other things that were waiting, they were basically they were like, we'll just ask for forgiveness and s- later instead of asking for permission. It's yeah. one way to do things. Well, and it really makes you realize that you think of the tennis tour as this kind of complete package, but really it's just a string of independent tournaments that all kind of have a working relationship with each other but aren't actually connected. Yes, and and our sport is so discombobulated, there's no governing body for the entire sport. Like, the PGA is a very similar type of sport. It's an individual sport, and and it's global, but there's actually, like, a PGA. The PGA makes unilateral decisions for the entire sport itself. Whereas like tennis has the WTA, the ATP, the ITF, the USTA, British Lawn Tennis Association or whatever, right? Like there's all these different governing bodies that look over different parts of tennis. Right. And I think the the strange thing, of course, is that they really put themselves in conflict with the Labor Cup, which was already sold out and, and ready to go. Uh, assuming that you know we're all released from the COVID virus, and also puts it just one week after the completion of the U.S. Open, which would really be tough for Rafa, who's defending both titles. So that's incredible. I, On I think different it's services. insane. It's insane to ask Rafa to defend two titles within six days of each other. Um, On different surfaces. <laughs> On different surfaces, exactly. And it's like, and no warm-up turn- tournament for the on clay. But from what I hear, Rafa's the only player they, the French Open actually even called to consult about this. Well, of course. <laughs> it's his tournament. It really is. <laughs> it is. However, I'm surprised he agreed to that. Like, 
I would think that he would be like, come on, <laughs> a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear the, that transcript. Right? It's, it's very strange. I love the idea of having back-to-back Grand Slams just for, like, for my own enjoyment, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and just think how it affects, like, the fans. Well, now you have to decide which order you're going to go to because, obviously, you're not going to fly – Unless you're, you got tons and tons of money, you know, you're not going to go to Paris and then fly back to the United States and spend literally four weeks completely in tennis. I mean, of course, that's the dream, but who can do that? Yeah, right. Especially since everyone's probably taking their vacation time right now. So they're not going to have a vacation for the rest of the year. <laughs> uh, and of course, it, this is all assuming that we'll even have tennis throughout the year. And, uh, it really is looking like we aren't, but uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. And of course, in re- in response to this, the USTA put out a statement, USTA, who actually controls the US Open, and talked about how they're banded together with uh, Tennis Australia, with the ATP, and like you said, all of them were speaking against uh, the French Open and saying, hey, we're all unified and we'd never do what you do. My, that's my paraphrase. And then right after that, you know, they were looking to Roger Federer and seeing what is he going to say about the Labor Cup, right? And they released a statement saying that the Labor Cup is not going to move, that we've already sold out, and, you know, we're, we're ready to go as well. Yeah, I mean, that's a little – it's interesting. Somebody made a joke that it was the French Open's way of saying, oh, you're not going to play the French Open, Roger? We're going to ruin your Labor Cup? <laughs> um, yeah, because they're like, well, he's not coming anyway, so – and if. And if, yeah, like if the French Open does that, like what will the players choose? And will any players boycott the French Open being that it's that they didn't consult anyone except for Rafa and that it's six days after the final of the U.S. Open, the French Open's going to start. Like it, it just seems interesting. I'm fascinated to see how it all unfolds. Yeah. And sadly, that's the whole point of this is that players really have no say in all of this. All of this is not player driven or player consulted or not even, in my opinion, for the benefit of the player. They're just doing it for the benefit of the tournament, which brings to light again the fact that players are really uh, SOL in trying to get this. Uh, schedule put together and it just makes it super hard on the players yeah and you know what i wonder is um normally when it's played it's light out till like i think like 9 p.m right because they don't have lights yeah they don't and so like having it you know six months later or however long is that going to affect lighting and like how many matches they can fit in a day yeah absolutely and then, and then, what does that do? Like, then does it string together a whole another, whole new set of problems? And is I don't know what the weather's like over there. Is it raining a bunch in September, October? Like, is it freezing? Not that you can't play in cold weather, but tennis is predominantly uh, warm weather. Like all the tournaments are kind of scheduled around being during the summer. Yeah. Or warm warm weather. So it would just it would just be weird, you know. Sure. Um, and then, like, what does that do to the to the conditions? Like, if it is colder, is it not as heavy? Like, does that hurt Rafa? And 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 if it is rainy, I mean, can you imagine all those clay courts and having to dry out and even getting it done? You know. Yeah, it just seems. I don't know. It seems interesting. It seems weird that they just like had to make a date and decide so fast, but. I'm sure they had their reasons. And again, like, yeah, I'm just curious to see how it all plays out. Well, we did have a little hint, and I don't know how reliable this rumor is, but Sports24 reported that the Swiss Fed captain, Heinz Gunnard, he confirmed that he expects Roger Federer to reschedule the Labor Cup to avoid the clash with the dates for the French Open. So I thought that was interesting that he maybe had a little bit of insight into what's actually going to happen. And... Yeah, of course, if it's Labor Cup versus French Open, what is everybody going to choose? I guess they're thinking they're going to choose it's a Grand Slam. They're not going to choose an exhibition, right? Even though I think Labor Cup is one of my favorite (laughs) events of the year. Oh, yeah, it's a great event. And it's only three days. 
Yeah. So we'll have to see. Uh, obviously, Roger's probably also thinking the players have to make a choice. And of course, the players are going to choose a Grand Slam where they're going to get paid a ton of money, right? So They would unless they all boycott, right? But I, I just find it really hard to believe. They'd, they'd all have to boycott or like none of them would. Right. And that's why they need a union. That's why these players need to band together and make something happen, which I don't know if it'll ever happen, but that would be... Amazing. You would you would hope, I guess, just that like if something positive came out of all of this, is that this did bring band all of them together, and maybe they did come up with like a players' union or like one universal governing body of our of our tennis world. Well, something good did come out of the tennis world, at least. Uh, Roger Federer and his wife Mirka have donated one million Swiss francs to help the most vulnerable families. In Switzerland, they helped to set up a fund, apparently being run by similar people from his foundation. And I just think that's amazing that he and his wife decided, like, let's do this for Switzerland. Let's make this happen. We don't see enough of that happening in the world right now from celebrities and from all these tech giants. Uh, I do do know there are a lot of people who are now coming to the table – that are donating ventilators or masks or, you know, so that's wonderful to see from the corporate point of view, but you don't see a lot of celebrities coming forward and, and doing a lot of great things. And I would, I wish I could see more of that because this is a time where they could use their influence and their wealth to make a change in our world. Yeah. I don't know that I hear a lot about it. I thought I heard like Angelina Jolie had donated a million dollars and I heard a couple other names. Uh, that I don't remember. <laughs> she was the last name they said, which is the only reason why it's stuck in my head. But I think there's some people doing stuff, but uh, I don't know. I guess people are doing what they can. So, I thought I heard the, the Clippers. The Clippers owner donated like $45 million? I might be making that number off. Up. I thought I saw that, though. Which is <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty crazy. I remember seeing like an astronomical amount of money and being like, dang. That would be great. Yeah, but good on Roger and any of the other players. I thought it was really cool that Maria Sharapova was online and she did a share a family, hashtag share a family gathering. And she was actually online with fans for two hours in a gathering of just like hanging out with her fans, which I thought was amazing. Okay, now I'm kind of pissed off. (laughs) I didn't know about this. I would have carved out two hours of my day for that. Isn't that incredible? I mean, just the fact that they got to just interact with her. And she if you see pictures of it, she's just very like not dressed up, no makeup, you know, just normal person hanging out and and just in that way, just kind of donating her time to make people's lives better. So I was just really touched by that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Lucky people. Yeah, very. Hopefully Roger will do something similar (laughs) or Novak or anyone, you know, I think we would all love it. Yeah. That would be cool. I would have preferred Maria. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in other news, Tokyo Olympics have definitely been postponed one year, moving from this year to 2021. So that affects everyone's tennis. And I think definitely Serena and uh, Roger, obviously the older you are, the the less chance you have. I mean, it's a, it's a full 12 months away from when he expected to play. And um, so we'll have to see what's going to happen there. Yep. Well, you know, he should have got it the year, uh, I think it was 2008 or something like that. Oh, God. who do I can't even remember who he lost to. I just remember being really mad. It was somebody who should, he should not have lost to. Wasn't it? Was it James Blake? I don't even know. I thought it was a Spaniard, to be honest, like a Robledo or something like that. But... Because I think I remember that Blake beat him at the Olympics, and that was like one of his only wins or something. You're probably right, which is even it's even more annoying. <laughs> I, it's not what you should hear an American saying, but come on, James Blake, you knew you weren't going to win. You should have let Roger win. <laughs> yeah, what a huge win for, for Blake. That was incredible. <laughs> Well, speaking of Maria Sharapova, I just wanted to highlight just a couple of really cool messages that people have been leaving on social media, just encouraging us uh, all that are going through this crazy chaotic time. 
Uh, so Maria was on Instagram sharing a picture of her on the beach and just and saying that she was social distancing for a few minutes in fresh air. And she cooked stuffed cabbage, which I guess is a, one of her favorites. Maybe that's a Russian dish. I don't know. I'm unaware. I do have a, a Russian in my life, though. I'll have to ask her. Uh, Djokovic posted uh, pictures of his family on Instagram, and he said, uh, I pray for health and healing for you. Uh, may God heal any sickness and any physical, mental, or spiritual. May he give you health, energy, and joy today. Swipe for the full message. <laughs> wow. Was longer? No. <laughs> right? <laughs> Lots of cool spiritual I, language there. It's funny as I said that, and then I see Roger <laughs> said a lot more, which is not unusual. Roger likes to talk. Roger did a special release, I think, just for the Swiss Public Health Organization. And it was only in Swiss German. I was really wishing it was for all of us in English. But uh, he was basically saying that he's staying home. He's, he hasn't been shaking hands with anyone for a, a long time. And he washes his hands frequently. And so that was just nice that he was giving his time to really educate everyone in his country or anyone who speaks Swiss German that they really need to take this seriously. And he said, it's really important to take these rules seriously, very, very seriously. So an abundance of caution. Love it. Of course, we love whatever Roger says. <laughs> and do you want to share with us the uh, Serena Instagram? Uh, yeah, I can. And uh, in Serena news, let's hear from our Serena fan favorite reporter. That's you. Valerie. Hey, Valerie. <laughs> it's Valerie. I don't know how to say my name. So yeah, Serena was on Instagram and she just, she just posted that she's been staying at home and practicing social distancing. She wanted to make sure she's doing her part during these uncertain times. She says, your actions matter and to stay home is one thing we can do to flatten the curve. She thanked Vogue magazine and Anna for raising awareness to make sure we take care of one another, even if it's from your couch. And she thanked everyone out there taking care of us outside of, of their home. That's so nice. So just quickly, the U.S. Open also released a press statement that I thought was really interesting, that they're going to use a different surface for the first time on their courts. And maybe we can talk more about this at a, another podcast. But wow, I'm sure that's going to be a big discussion for them to have a different surface. Is it going to be faster? Is it going to be slower? How is it going to play? Yeah, of course it's going to be slower. <laughs> I, I'm just being a brat, like just <laughs> of course. complaining because the, the tennis world is annoying. There's like no fast courts left. Yeah, exactly. Which, uh, honestly, as a tennis fan, I'm okay with it because I like longer rallies. But as a Roger fan, I'm annoyed because basically all of the tournaments slowing down is the reason why he doesn't have like five more majors at this juncture there's probably there's been five years or so since they started slowing down all the courts so that's like 20 majors that he's missed out on by just you know changing the surface even wimbledon shoot wimbledon was what 2008 when they started slowing it down it's like almost a decade ago anywho they they've slowed that down many many years ago and just, it just sucks for as a Roger fan. Yeah, it's uh, so hurtful to think that he might have won Wimbledon if the surface was just a little bit faster and he had a couple of easier points because he was two match points away in this last one. Uh, I think if they didn't slow down Wimbledon, because Wimbledon, they say, is uh, slower than hard courts now. Wow. Even. For, for a few years, they've been saying like that it was slower than the U.S. Open. Wow. Anywho, I think Roger would ha probably have, he'd have Rafa record, uh, numbers at Wimbledon. Wow. Well, speaking of Roger, I cannot wait to get to Martina's report, and I'm super excited to hear what she has to say about spending time with the Federer family. I mean, what uh, an incredible stroke of luck that that was, right? I, can you imagine? It's so cool. I mean, I haven't heard the report yet, but I can't wait. So we need to hurry up and put this episode out so I can hear it. <laughs> All right. And, th <laughs> and thank you, Martina, so much for creating this wonderful report in a time when we definitely need a little bit of love, hope, and distraction to keep us going as we're all sheltering. So here it is, our Meet the Federer Family Report.
Hello, everyone listening to this podcast. My name's Martina. I'm 19 years old and I'm from Melbourne, Australia. And I'm going to be giving you a brief、um, summary of my Australian Open experience this year. Hello, with at least eight people known to have died since Monday alone and thousands continuing to shelter in evacuation centres, the terrifying scale of Australia's bushfire disaster is beginning to emerge. A mass exodus from southern New South Wales is underway with long lines of. So, before the Australian Open started, there were heaps of concerns surrounding the fires that were devastating the country at the time. There were over hundreds and hundreds of blazes burning throughout Victoria, New South Wales, and South Australia, as well as Queensland. And that sent blankets of smoke into Melbourne and some of the major cities, including Sydney and Canberra, as well. And it just smothered the entire city. So there were heaps of health concerns surrounding whether the Australian Open was going to go ahead. But what was really nice was Tennis Australia organised a charity event called Rally for Relief to get all the big names together to、um, come together and、um, play a little charity match to raise money for the bushfire victims as well as all the brave firefighters that have been on the front line risking their lives for the Australian people, saving homes, saving wildlife, and just to recognise all the work they do. And I was fortunate enough to be able to attend that event. So the event was held approximately a week before the tournament started. And when I first heard that there was going to be something like this, like、um, a charity event, I didn't even think twice to buy tickets. I thought it was regardless of who's going to be there or how the event's going to turn out. Um, it's going to be an amazing event, and it exceeded all expectations. It was one of the best nights. Australia has been Roger Federer's January home for the past 21 years. It's five for Federer. With Melbourne hosting some of his greatest feats. I wanted to arrive very early,、um, also for the children, but then also for me for the preparation. But he's also landed with a heavy heart, having witnessed from afar the devastating toll the bushfires are taking on our country. I know it's been tough times as well for this country, so it's.、Uh It's good to see firsthand as well, and also knowing that we can do something about it. He'll join the likes of Rafael Nadal and Serena Williams on Wednesday night for Rally for Relief, with all funds raised heading straight to the bushfire relief effort. While Tennis Australia will also donate $100 for every ace. Every ace we're going to hit is going to be good for the people. Maybe there's going to be a bigger roar every time there is an ace. I'll be curious to find out if at 40 love a guy's going to go like, please hit an ace, you know, because it's for a good cause. Because I'm anyway not going to come back in this game. As for his plans the following week, the world number three isn't making any bold predictions as he aims to once again be crowned the king of Melbourne Park. I must say, I've been feeling good, practicing well, everything's great, and、uh, I can't. So、wait. I bought tickets and we went and.、Um, So, give to give you a bit of a summary of what the night was all about.、Um, the first thing that happened was there was a fast four format、um, doubles competition between two teams, and then after the fast four format, there was a singles match between Roger Federer and Nikurios, and it was all to raise money for the bushfire victims. Um, the fast four went really well.、Um, I'm gonna name because it's been a while since I've attended, so I don't actually remember who was in it. But I'm gonna name some of the people I remember who were in the teams. I probably would. I'll try and remember all of them. But there were two teams. One team was Team Williams, and the other team was Team Wozniacki. Team Williams were sort of like the older generation, whereas Team Wozniacki were the younger generation, and they were kind of versing each other. So Team Williams had obviously Serena.、Um, they had Nadal, Djokovic,、um, Dominic Team. One, two. I think that's. I think that was all I remember. No. Oh, and Petra Kvitova. Sorry. <laughs> and then Team Wozniacki had Coco Goff,、um, Naomi Osaka, Alexander Zverev. Um, Stefanos Tsitsipas and Caroline Wozniacki. 
and they were versing and it was a really fun match and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And they were just making jokes, having a laugh and most importantly, there to raise awareness. Um, the highlight of that match was um, one of the CFA firefighters actually got to play, um, got to pair up with Nadal and play against two other players from the other side of the net. I forgot who they were, but um, yeah, and she got to play with Nadal and I thought it was a dream come true for her and it was such a good moment because she deserved it. Has somebody got a spare racket for Deb? Has somebody got a racket? Okay, Deb, good luck. Get out there. Well, can you imagine how nervous she's just about to get, Deb? We've gone from fighting fires up in Koryong on Monday to playing doubles alongside the world number one on Rod Laver Arena. Yeah, Deb just talked about all the animals. It's, it's a good link into the ATP and their donation effort. I know that helped uh, launch uh, seven hundred twenty-five thousand Australian double, uh, dollars to the World Wildlife Fund. That's a great pledge. Yeah, it certainly is. Good shot. Kill her. Bravo. <laughs> Didn't take any convincing to go for the hug, did she? She had the opportunity. You're going to take the hug when you can get it, hey? Take all your opportunities in life. Hey, after all you've done for this country, everybody affected, that is what you deserve. Round of applause for Deb, everybody. And then after that was Roger versus Nick Kyrgios, and it was just one set, but it was a really tight set, and they, people might think, oh, they're not going to take it seriously and all that, but... It was a really, it was a really fun match to watch. Regardless, both players were in such a good mood, um, yeah, and yeah, and it was just a really good set of tennis. It was the first time Roger had stepped on court all year, um, and so it was good to see him play, even if it was just for like charity and exhibition. But yeah, and then after that, Nick Kyrgios and Roger Federer did an interview. And um, because Nick Kyrgios was the person who actually thought of the idea about like getting behind ACEs for bushfire relief, where every ACE served would be $100 donated to the bushfire relief victims and the Red Cross. Um, so Nick Kyrgios got a lot of praise that night. And Roger Federer, well, he's Roger Federer. <laughs> so he um, was there to help support the cause as well as so many other tennis players out there. And it was just such a good night and something I will never forget that I attended and I'm so glad I did attend. So a week after Rally for Relief, the Australian Open began and I was lucky enough to go a total of four times to the Australian Open and I got to see Roger Federer play live at one of the times. Um, so I got to see Roger play his very first round on the very first day. Um, it was a really clean sweep. Um, it, the match lasted like an hour and 20 minutes and he kicked off the tournament really, really well. I was really happy to see him play and just to see him hit the ball really, really cleanly. Um, the match was really up and down in terms of the weather though because it was raining, it rained halfway through and they had to close the roof and um, all that, but all good. It didn't really disrupt his momentum. He played amazing. And it was a really cool experience for me because this was actually the first time I'd seen him play since 2009 when I saw him for the first time because we just managed to miss out every year. <laughs> so um, it was really, really cool to see him play for the what felt like the first time. But, um, but any time I see Roger play, it's just such a cool experience and I never take it for granted because just to see him on court just makes me happy. Um, and then the second day, I went the day after and I got to see him practice. Um, the layout of the practice courts was really different to what we were used to because it's all new now. Um, so we can't really stand on one side anymore. It's like both sides were filled with people and it was really crowded when he came along and um, it was kind of chaotic actually. Sometimes they had to bring tennis players through the crowd to actually get to the court. But Roger went through a different um, a different entrance because fair enough, he would have get, he would have gotten mobbed. It was 
yeah, and it was just cool to see him practice with his team and take some balls before um, his next round match. I went the day after that as well. Um, and I went to, and the day after I went to see um, Novak Djokovic, we had a day session um, tickets again. Um, oh, sorry. And the night before, not, so on the Tuesday night, I had night session tickets to Margaret Court Arena and I got to see Alexander Zverev. Um, also, Simona Halep um, play on Margaret Court and that match ended super late. Um, and then the day after, I went to see on Rod Labour Arena on the day session match, uh, Novak Djokovic. Um, he was versing a Japanese guy and we got to see Ash Barty and also Kvitova. Um, Barty was great. She um, put on a show and Kvitova also was a really, really tough match as well. Both of them lasted three sets and that was a really, 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 two really amazing matches to watch. And then Djokovic was a clean sweep as usual. <laughs> um, so yeah, nothing interesting there. Um, and then a few days later, I went back to the Australian Open just for the ground pass to hang out with my friend. And we just, you know, watched some practice sessions. We saw Nadal that day. And then we just walked, um, walked around, had some drinks, had a laugh, had some food, did some activities. Um, yeah. And it was just a really fun day. We, we didn't really watch much tennis on that day, but um, yeah, overall, it was a really fun experience. Got a lot of, got to see a lot of tennis. Um, it was mainly jam-packed in the first week. Um, but yeah, it was a really good experience. And I hope that all of you guys get to experience it one day at any tennis tournament. It's just a really fun atmosphere. And yeah. So on the day of Roger's semi-final match, I was working that day and I work at this 3D interactive arts gallery in Melbourne. So it's a really popular tourist attraction, I guess, for families and people coming over from other countries and stuff if they want to visit Melbourne to see what they want to do for a day. Um, it's a really good place to just hang out with the family. Um, so yeah, so what it is, is it's basically an arts gallery, um, but the paintings, when you take a photo, it looks 3D. So like you have to be in the photo and be in the art and it makes it look like it's 3D. So for example, there could be a painting of a jar and then when you sit in the in the jar or sit down on the ground, it makes it look like you're actually in the jar, but it's just the painting. Yeah, so that's pretty much how it works, like a trick eye kind of gallery. Um, yeah, so I was working there that day and it was getting towards the end of my shift, I think, yeah. And I was just doing my usual thing. I just, so what we do is um, we just help people out and we help them take photos. We give them ideas for poses. We ask them how their day is and just talk and interact with the customers that come in. Yeah, and I was just doing that and I was just standing in one of my one of the zones in the gallery and I was just standing around helping people. And then I turned around and then the first person I saw turn the corner was Merka. Was Merka. Was Merka. Literally. And my jaw just dropped. And then suddenly all four kids just turned the corner and then two people from Roger's team as well, which I also, who I also recognised. And my jaw dropped to the ground. I stood there for a solid two seconds thinking, oh my goodness, is it really them? And then no one in my, no one, none of my coworkers actually watch tennis, nor do they know enough to know that those people were part of Roger Federer's team. So I went to tell one of my coworkers, like one of my, yeah, I told him, I was like, do you know who they are? And then he didn't know. So I told him, I was like, yeah, so they're Roger Federer's, it's Roger Federer's wife and kids and two people from his team. 
and I and they know and everyone know, knew knows at my workplace that I am a massive Roger Federer fan. So they were like, "Oh my goodness!" And then the word got around to my manager um, that they it was Roger Federer's family, and we were like, "Okay, we need to take really good care of them <laughs> and get, give them a good impression." So um, my manager was like, "Do you want to take them around the entire gallery and stick with them the entire time?" Because they were essentially the only people in the gallery at that time. They chose a really good day and a good time to come because not many people were there um, at the same time. So I was able to spend a lot of time with them. So I stuck with them um, around the gallery. I took them to every single zone. I spoke to them. I took photos for them. I offered to, you know, I offered to show them poses. So um, in some of the paintings where it looked really difficult to do poses, I just got all his kids in and kind of just like, um, taught them how to pose and be like, okay, you do this, you do that, and made it really creative. I gave them – so Merka was the, the main photographer, I guess. <laughs> she was the one taking all the photos. She wasn't in many of the photos, so I just gave her tips on how to, like, take the photo so it looked 3D. So I was like, yeah, you know, angle your phone, do this, do that. And she was just like, oh, yeah, thank you, and stuff like that. I just took them through. And then um, I had a really good conversation with one of his daughters who – um, she was asking me like about the artworks and um, how often they get changed and um, she told me how she was there a few a few years ago as well and how like it's changed and I was like yeah we just had a really good conversation um, all the kids were very excited to be there which was really good to see his boys a bit too young to probably remember any of this but they were having a really really good time and so I took them around took around half an hour to 45 minutes to get around the whole gallery. So they were just going through every single artwork, um, trying every single thing. And like, they were really enjoying it as a family. And I just taught them poses and um, just, yeah. And um, some of the highlights were just, I thought the boys were just really funny. <laughs> um, the stuff they were doing. Merka was really, really sweet. Um, when I was trying to help her out and also like the two other girls in Roger's team as well. I was talking to them and helping them out. Yeah, everyone in the team was just really, really sweet. And then at the end, so when they were about to leave, I um, so we prepared four gift bags for the kids. So each of them had like a little souvenir, an Aussie souvenir in them. So like a koala each. I just, so what I did was I thanked them for coming and I gave each of the kids the bag I really hope they didn't throw away the gift because, yeah, I don't know. It was just like a really nice Aussie souvenir. So I hope they still have it. But anyway, um, it's okay if they don't. Um, yeah, and then at the end, um, I introduced myself to Mirko. I could, I should have done that. And to the rest of the team, I should have done that at the start. But to be honest, like I, I saw them turn the corner and I wasn't really with them from the start anyway. So I was just too shook to even do that at the beginning. So I just... Um, so I kind of just introduced myself. I was like, oh, I shook Merka's hand. So she shook my, oh, she shook, she shook my hand. She, she shook my hand, but still she was, I was just like, oh, it's nice to meet you. Um, I told her how much of a fan I was of Roger. I was like, oh, I'm a massive fan. And I just wish him luck for the semifinal tonight. And she thanked me. And she's like, thank you for your time. It was really nice meeting you. And then one of the girls thanked me for the gift and uh, said that, and I was like, oh, no worries. Thanks for coming. And then... Um, she said, like, bye, and they went, and yeah. So after that experience, I was in shock, obviously, and I was just really awestruck by the experience because it was um, really nice to come um, to meet the Federer family after being a fan of Roger Federer himself for such a, such a long time. And to finally just meet his family and to talk to them and to, yeah, to interact with them was really, really cool. And they are lovely people, really easy to talk to, really friendly, really, really polite. And also his team as well. The two ladies on his team were lovely, lovely people, lovely girls. And I just get the vibe that his entire team is probably the same. So um, they are lovely people and I was so grateful to be able to meet them. And I just wish them well. And everyone just deserves to meet them one day. They are just incredible people and I have so much respect for that family. 
Um, yeah, and that was sort of like my experience of meeting the Roger Federer family amidst the Australian Open experience from the Rally for Relief um, to the end. Um, even though Roger lost that night, I'm still so proud of what he has accomplished not throughout the tournament and, of course, throughout his career because anytime he's on court, I'm just grateful. And to be honest, yeah, and even though it didn't go his way, I was so... Um, so proud of his fight throughout the entire tournament. Um, and yeah, I just hope to see him again next year. So thank you guys for tuning in to this podcast of my experiences at the Australian Open this year. Um, I hope you guys enjoy, uh, keep playing tennis, keep watching tennis, keep supporting tennis. And I know it's a really tough time at the moment with all that's going on in the world, but I just want everyone to stay positive um, follow guidelines um, given out by authorities and governments. Wash your hands, stay home, watch old tennis matches if you'd like, and just be safe and be healthy. Thank you. Valerie, can you imagine being able to spend 30 minutes with the twins and with Mirka and the Federer team? Uh, no. I imagine I would be having medical attention for resuscitation. No. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was so beautiful that she said that they were just all so nice to be with, um, that she got a chance to hang with the daughters and the daughters were very inquisitive and asked tons of questions. Uh, It sounded like the boys were precocious, which you expected them to be, right? You expected them to be playful and precocious, so... Just ama- what an amazing experience and a stroke of luck that she had to spend time with the whole family as they walked around Australia in this museum. Yes, super cool. And super cool that we are in contact with her and she's able to share that with us. And anyone who listens, to any lucky listener of the Tennis Pal Chronicles. Well, and I just think that's another reason to invite people to be a part of our podcast because there are so many great tennis stories out there through the years of people who have met incredible tennis players, had great tennis experiences, and we'd love to hear from you. So please send us an email to pk at tennispal.com. Love to have you consider being a fan favorite reporter for our podcast, share your story, maybe be interviewed. We would love that. We'd also love to have feedback on how we're doing with this podcast and what you'd like to hear. What would you like to hear, Valerie, from these people? More cowbell. Uh, I would, I would honestly, yeah, I'd like to just hear anyone's feedback. It'd be nice. I feel like we ask for it a lot. I don't know that we get it. (laughs) I have friends tell me that we're amazing, but they're my friends. I don't know if their, their opinions seem biased. I know what you mean. Yeah. It's, uh, it'd be, it'd be nice to get thousands of emails, but Hey, I'm happy if we get one. So It would be cool to hear from anyone. Just go ahead and send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And we'd love to have you contribute to our podcast as well because we feel like this is a community event. And that's what Tennis Pal is about, really. It's just about building the tennis community. And so we want to encourage you one more time to just download the Tennis Pal app for iPhone or Android. It really is anything tennis on there. There is a great section of moments. Uh, There's a great section where you can connect with other players. And obviously, we'll have to wait until this whole virus passes. Um, We want to encourage everyone to stay off the court and not play right now. Even, Even if you think it's okay to play with you and a friend or you and other people, Uh, Here in Los Angeles, anyways, they have actually locked down the courts in the county. So all courts in our area have chain link fences. But I'm still getting texts from all my friends saying, hey, let's go hit. And I'm just thinking, come on, guys, just do your part. All you have to do is stay home, right? You don't have to go to war and fight a battle. You just need to stay home. And hopefully that way we can stop this pandemic. I uh, drive past a tennis court. I did twice today and twice earlier this week um, on my way somewhere and on my way back to get food. Yeah. Um, and the, all four times that I passed this tennis court, there were people playing. Gosh, and what's weird it. is normally there's no one playing. <laughs> like it bring, It's bringing people out. It is. And all I keep thinking is like hopefully there are people that already like live together. 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I guess that's the yeah. only situation I can think where it's like, well, it's fine. Like we live together, we sleep together. We do, you know, we're family. We, we live in the same space, but I have also seen on some of our Facebook uh, tennis community posts where people are like, who wants to go hit? And then like everyone's commenting, like, stay home. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, and speaking of staying home, our next podcast is practical things you can do to practice tennis during the coronavirus shutdown. So I think that'll be super appropriate. We have lots of ideas of what you can do while you're at your house, uh, while you're indoors, just staying inside your house and some kind of fitness tips for you. So uh, stay tuned for that one coming up soon. Yes, that's going to be a good one. Valerie, thank you so much for your time today. It was really great to put this podcast out. I really hope that this podcast gives a lot of people joy. Just hearing someone be able to meet their hero, their inspiration, their idol, and what it means to them. Because I think all of us are in tennis because we love the players that are out there and and the, the level that they play at. And not only the tennis, but also kind of the lifestyle and the way that they live their life. So... What a joy for Martina, and we're all just, you know, enjoying it vicariously with her. Yes, let's enjoy. I mean, let's enjoy. Oh, my God. Cut me out. <laughs> yes, Philip. Well said. You're the best. I can't wait till we meet again via Skype. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's tough to do it via Skype. We don't get to see each other, and I miss you so much. And I got to tell you that I love you more than anything, and it's. I think it's in this time we need to just share a ton of love to all the people around us because it's just so unstable. It's crazy. And I think love is going to continue to bring us together. And hopefully as countries, as, as citizens, as people, and as friends, we can just express to each other how much we need each other and how much we need to work together to beat this. Yes. I love you too, Philip. And thank you for being my friend. <laughs> Hey, and I just got to give a shout out to the Langham Huntington Hotel where I work because uh, I don't know if you saw on Facebook, but they actually sent me a care package uh, for all their employees. They sent a care package full of fresh food, toilet paper, which is like gold, right? Pasta, beans, eggs, uh, fresh vegetables. It was just incredible. And I, I just felt so loved and cared for. And I think it's the small things like this that in this time really mean a lot. So we need to continue to express our humanity and and learn from the Langham. What can we do to help our friends, right? Even strangers that we don't know. What can we do? Yes. All right. Thanks, Valerie. I so much appreciate it. Love you so much. Oh, Philip, you're the best. So until next time, thanks for listening. We really appreciate you guys and And may may all all your your sirs be aces. aces.